Welcome to another inspiring message from Milestone Church in Keller, Texas. Well, I want to welcome you to week three of a six-week journey that we've been on. If you're new, we are walking through a book that I wrote, and we're on a journey together. And we're looking at this question, who am I? We're asking that question, but really, more than just getting introspective and saying, who am I? We're looking at it through the lens of seeking God and seeing who he wants us to be, who he's created us to be, who he's designed us to be. So we're on a discovery process together to look to God, who's the only one that can really define us and give us our true identity. And so we started with some pre-discussion, which is in part one of the book, and then now we're in part two where we're unpacking these practical areas. And so a couple of weeks ago, we looked at how insecurity can affect our identity, and then this last week, we looked at comparison. What I think is unique about it, too, we're looking at Bible characters. We're, we're learning the Bible, and so we looked at the life of Moses the first week, and then last week, we looked at three Bible characters. We looked at Saul and David and Jonathan, and this week, I'm going to ask you if you have your Bibles. We're going to look at the book of Ruth. I'm going to ask you to turn to a little bit of an obscure book, a small book, Old Testament. You might have to use the table of contents, Joshua Judges Ruth, and we're going to look at this question, and that is, who am I when I feel alone? And I want to welcome our McKinney campus that's following with us live stream right now, and then I want to welcome all of you online. Uh, there we've had record crowds online because we have a little bit of freezing precipitation. All of the people from up north are mocking us and laughing at us, but here in the room, I have the true chosen people of God. <laughs> Compromisers that are out there, God bless them. We'll pray for them at the end of the service. Use the online giving button. But anyway, <laughs> y'all know, you, you know I had to say it. Come on, everybody. But uh, we're on this journey together, and we've been looking at it from different angles, and we wanna look at this idea of aloneness. And I, I wanna tell you, it's an area that God pinpoints and an area that God emphasizes all the way through Scripture and in the way he relates to us. And so I like to think of it this way while you're finding your passage. It's gonna take me a minute to look at, we're gonna start in Ruth chapter one, verse one, and we're gonna look at a few of the passages. I'll tell you a little bit about her story uh, as well. But I heard a story uh, a few years ago about a guy named Charles Steinmetz. He was a genius electrical engineering guy. I mean, he taught on this subject matter. He had patents. He, he was just, just a genius at the top of his field. And uh, after retiring, General Electric asked him to come back. And they said, we have a problem with some machines and uh, we want you to come kind of show us what's going on. And so he walks in to the, to the factory there and he starts looking around at the different machines. He does some analytics and he takes a piece of chalk out of his pocket, walks to one machine and he puts an X on it. And then he sends them a bill after that for $10,000. 
And those that are in the accounting department and those surveying everything go, look, this guy just strolls in, does a few analytics, pulls a piece of chalk out, marks a machine, walks away, charges us $10,000. And so the auditors and the accounting people said, look, we gotta get this guy to justify it. And so they call him up and say, look, Charles, you're gonna have to justify the fact you just charged us $10,000 for what you did. And so he just took a simple piece of note paper and he said, $1 for taking a piece of chalk out of my pocket and marking an X on a machine. $9,999 for knowing where to put the X. (laughs) And I'm gonna tell you, in our world today, a lot of people are feeling a sense of not just aloneness, emptiness, a lack of fulfillment, a lack of wondering in their life, am I really becoming who I'm created to be? What's the missing component? I've got all the machines kind of humming. I got all of life moving around. I've got more opportunities and busyness. I got a lot going on, And, and yet what I would say to you is the life of Ruth, which I believe could be one of my life messages, what I'm sharing with you this weekend, something I'm very passionate about. I believe it's extremely overlooked in our culture. And that is that I believe God puts the X so many times scripturally, and if you understand how he's made us, how he's designed us, how he's wired us, here's one of my favorite verses that I think puts the X. God places. Now, now we're gonna talk about who God has created us to be, but always remember, that's not independent of God. So we're looking to God, and how does he work, and how do we cooperate with him? And it says there in Psalm 68, six, he places, or he sets, lonely people in families. He takes people from the margins and he takes and sets them in a set of what I call and will refer to in our time together here, a set of divine relationships. Not acquaintances, not colleagues, divine relationships that he sets us in and that's his cure for the ache of loneliness. I believe it's more prevalent than ever I I believe it not only because I interact with people as a pastor, and I'm a student of lives and people and culture, I I believe it just personally from listening to the interactions of people, but I also looked at some research over the last year, a a meta-analysis, if you will, of the research of where people are. See, there's a few factors. We have more social mobility than ever before. So we're moving around and we're displaced from a lot of our relational joinings that was different 100 years ago in our culture. Very different from the Bible passage we're gonna read. Very different culturally. And so we're displaced a bit. Uh, We have a lot more transition in our culture and life. Most of us will not go to one company, work for 40 years, get the 10-year pin, the 20-year, the 40-year watch. We have a lot more transition in our culture. And something that is supplementing it, but not a solution for it, is that we now have an online portal into the lives of people. And, And nothing wrong totally with that, it just can't replace living live human beings. In the statistics I read, that the average person has 338 Facebook friends. Now you're into comparison. We talked about that last week. You're going, wait, how many do I have again? Okay. But the people surveyed said, I have 338 Facebook friends, 
but no real person or one person that I would call a true friend or someone I could confide in or someone that's trying to help me. Many people saying, look, I feel distant and disconnected. Many people feeling like they don't have true relationships and connections, so the entire study shows in multiple ways. In fact, people 45 years and older facing in their lives today due to all of these different factors saying they struggle with chronic loneliness. Now, a lot of times people wouldn't admit that and say, well, what I'm really dealing with is I don't, I have a lot of relational breakdown. What it manifests itself as is I feel some level of something that is empty inside of me. I'm missing something. I'm missing something, but I don't know what it is. Well, well, I wanna tell you about the X. I'm gonna tell you where the missing link is, where the missing place. By the way, also in the study, it, it shows that in fact, that it's unhealthy to be isolated. Do you know the Bible teaches us it's not good? But I was even at, at, at the gym that I work out with talking to a doctor this week about it saying, what factor does the soul level, does the relational level play? And I understand you're a scientist and I'm a pastor, but, but what level does what I think is important play? And he and I had a great conversation about it. So, so I'm not against working out, I work out. I'm not against trying to be healthy, those things are good. But I will say that in and of itself is not even complete because the study said you might be better off being a little obese and being relationally connected. You might live longer. They were just given a lot of factors around that, which is why I've continually uh, made it part of our culture here to remind us that it's better to eat a burger with friends than kale by yourself. <laughs> and my wife who has us on the organic trip and different things, she's like, Jeff, we can't eat pig. I'm like, what's wrong with the pig? I mean, the pig's awesome, let's eat the pig. She says, no, they don't sweat, they have toxins. But I, I'm like, honey, we need to break this down a minute, my engineering dad, we need to get calculative on this for a second. Like if we get rid of the whole pig, we're losing bacon, we're losing ham, we're losing pulled pork, we're losing pork tenderloin, we're losing a lot, okay? So I'm going to introduce a new one. And there's another, there's a drink that I've told you all about, my wife tries to get me, there's people on staff who grow this stuff, who make this stuff, who brew this stuff. And I'm introducing something for the sake of you and all of your friends, that it's better to eat pork ribs with friends than drink, I call it kombucha. My wife says, it's not, there's no A in it, it's kombucha. It's gross ucha, okay, that's what it is. This is how they make this stuff, in a brewed up deal full of yuck. I've only drank it one time and it was the Coke flavored one, but anyway, that's a different deal. In all seriousness, thank God for health. Thank God for the things we prioritize. Thank God for the things we measure in different areas of our life. I wanna share with you for a minute about this aloneness issue, about this connected issue that a lot of times we're over-prioritizing these things and under-prioritizing the relational side of our life. It's something that we've tried to prioritize as a church for 15 years. I'm so thankful that you guys live this way, that you warmly greet, you warmly welcome. A lot of times people say we're friendly. I always try to remind people it's more than friendliness. It's family. It's that we believe God places people in family. So we're not just friendly, we're trying to 
discern the joinings of God for your life to help you find the divine relationships that God has for you. It's why in this series we're doing small groups, but some of you are like, do we just do small groups during the series? No, why do we live small group relational life as a church? Because we believe that divine relationships have an important place in your life. I've heard so many of you say, I have so many new people in my small group, so many, and I love how you think about them. I've heard you tell our different team leaders and our small group captains, and some of you have told me, I've got like five new people, or I've got 10 new people that have never been to Milestone, and you like, your heart is, I wanna make them feel welcome, I wanna make them feel connected. That's the heart of God. I heard a story about a guy named Aaron who stepped out at his workplace to lead a small group. He got a little packet, he got everything, he bought 11 books. And he went to his workplace, and guess what? Because God is smart, and God is orchestrating these things, and we have to choose to join him. But he got 11 books, and guess how many people showed up for his small group when he opened up on the first week at his business? Yeah, 11 people. And he said, I had to spend the whole first part of what I was doing there explaining to them what is a small group, because they had no clue. But guess what's gonna happen to them? They're going to work and they have performance evaluations and they're trying to get the profit and and guess what they're gonna find? Something over here that's very valuable that they never knew even existed. They never knew was a big priority. And so it's important that we prioritize these things in our life and we see it in the life of Ruth. And so if you have your passage there, let me give you a 30,000 foot view of her story a great Bible character, okay? And here's what I love. She's the least likely candidate to be included in something big. Like, literally, if you looked up her Wikipedia page, it would be a nobody. She's overlooked, she's undervalued. You say, why is that? Because she's young. She ends up as a widow. She's in poverty. She's from this place, Moab. She's in this place that's not valued and I don't have time to show you all the implications of the story. The story that we're about to look at takes place in Bethlehem and Moab and and she's from the place that would have been viewed if you know the context of scripture as those people. So so here's here's what the Bible's saying to us. She's the ultimate outsider. She's the person who should not be included in the great purposes of God But due to God's sovereign hand, and if we'll look at what he's trying to do and see how he's working and what he's up to in our lives, which we're blinded to a lot of times, and get this, her relational choices, she ends up in a different place. She doesn't end up as an alone, young, impoverished widow, but she ends up with a very full relational life because of how God operates and how God works. Let me tell you her story, and then we're gonna break it down very practically and see how it relates to us, okay? Here's the story. You have this couple, Elimelech, and you have this mom, Naomi, and there's two sons, Malon and Kilion, and they're in Bethlehem, and this Bethlehem word, this, this, this Hebrew word here, it literally means house of bread. <coughs> Interestingly enough, There's no bread in the house of bread. They're in a famine. We don't relate to that very well. We'll unpack that in a minute. 
But as a result of the famine, they go to Moab. As I said, that's the wrong place, anyone who understood the story, for them to go. This is, a, this is an enemy. This is a, a competitor. This is the wrong place. And they, they sojourn, we'll look at that word in a minute, they journey over to this place to try to find some food. And what's interesting is as they get there, the men die. The men die leaving behind these widows and these widows are there, and Naomi says, and she, she loves her daughter-in-laws, and, and by the way, when you start talking about divine relationships, a lot of times, because we have so much, so much paranoia and distrust for relationships, it's like, wait a minute, is someone trying to coerce me into something, or in that group, or small group, or relationship? Look, always remember this. The story we're reading, it has strong relational language, but Naomi did not force Ruth to that decision. In fact, she comes to her daughter-in-laws and says, it's probably better that you go back to your families. I'm going back to Bethlehem. It's better for you to do that, but Ruth makes a relational decision, not a logical decision. Naomi's actually bitter. She's not a great choice, and there's a lot of unforeseen things there. She makes a relational decision decision, which is very interesting, the other daughter-in-law kisses her and goes on her way. When one daughter-in-law kisses, the other daughter-in-law clings. Ruth, our hero, the one who's no longer the overlooked person in the story. She follows her mother-in-law back to Bethlehem, and she goes back, and instead of finding famine, they find a great harvest, and she meets a relative of Naomi named Boaz, and they end up having this great family so they end up having this great lineage, and we'll look at the implications of that. This great lineage, and they have this son Obed, and this, this Obed has this son Jesse, and Jesse has this son David, who is an eccentric fellow who played the harp and killed bears and lions, and we studied him last week and had a great kingdom. And so what we see is sometimes the decision-making process that is opposite of logic ends up producing the very thing we're actually looking for and the ultimate plan of God. And so what is this saying to us? We're designed by God. We're designed by God for divine relationships and we'll always feel alone no matter how many acquaintances we have, we'll always feel alone without them. And here's the simple fact of life that again, we underestimate so much, and this is the simple fact. You can have great health, and thank God for great health. You can have great opportunities. You can have great victories. You can have great successes. Did you know if you have great successes and no one to celebrate them with, the successes are empty. You can have great health. You can have, I wanna tell you what, let's be honest, what most every person today would say, if I had more of, I would be more fulfilled. I would be more of who I'm called to be if I had more money. You can have all the money you could ever want or ever spend, and if you are relationally bankrupt, you feel alone and empty. You ultimately do not fulfill everything God has for your life. And so that's the story of Ruth. And you go, okay, I, I, I think I'm probably in that camp. We all have been and we all are at different places. So how do divine relationships, how do they really help us and how do they impact our identity? Because we're talking about who am I? I wanna find my identity in God. So Jeff, 
how does this idea of being isolated and alone, and if I make the relational value choice, how can that shape and affect my identity? Well, I wanna unpack it together this way. First of all, it's all about value. We overlook the value of divine relationships in discovering our identity. We really do. We don't, we don't put the weight on it at the level we probably should, and especially in our modern culture, it's a, it's a de- decreasing uh, area of value for us in our culture. Here's Ruth 1.1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Now remember, when you start reading the Bible, it's like, this, 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 this inspired by the Holy Spirit antiquated text, when you see that, you're automatically going, famine, I don't know how to relate to that because we've got kombucha and we've got pork and we've got everything under the sun and we have nothing but cakes in the name of Jesus and we've got all of that. And so I don't know. I mean, you know, the older we get, we're munching on almonds like squirrels and stuff. But anyway, we're, 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 we don't relate. We don't relate, but we are hungry. We are hungry, we are thirsty, we are dry, which is what Psalm 68, six says, those who are separated from family ultimately live in a dry land. So we don't relate to food famine, but we relate to poverty of the soul relationally. Yet they were relating to food famine. And it says, a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. That's a word, you're like, sojourn, what does that mean? It's a biblical term which literally means that they're going somewhere temporarily in need of something, not intending to stay. So they're searching, if you will. They're sojourning to look for something that they are deficient in. And so many of the people that I meet today is in this alone area, in this identity area, it's kind of like I'm looking and I'm searching, but I don't know what I'm searching for. Could it be that I've prioritized or valued the wrong things or seen things in the wrong way? But they were sojourning in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Let me sum it up this way. It'll help your decision-making process as you're discovering who you're created to be. It will help your decision-making process when you understand how God works. I mean, a lot of people going, I'm trying to make these right decisions. I'm trying to be who I'm created to be and I wanna cooperate with God, but they miss this side of God's overall perspective. So so how does that work? Well, you don't evaluate every opportunity based on just the opportunity itself. What do I mean by that? We in our world today measure the what's of life. The what, what job? What profit, what location, what revenue, what place? But God's saying, have you factored in the who? Have you factored in the who? What do I mean by that? You may have a job opportunity, it may be a God opportunity. God may relocate you, move you, whatever, but a lot of times I meet a lot of people who evaluate just the new salary, they evaluate just the compensation without the cost. The cost to the children, the cost to the family, the cost spiritually. What is, what is the real evaluation of that? And so, and God, and in the converse, God may move you. You think, man, I, I thought I was moving to Texas for a new job and God put you in spiritual family. You, you were looking for food and you found family. You were looking for this and God said, no, 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 I got this. You're like, I'm gonna go to that small group. I'm gonna go to that small group to like, 
grow or get better and you go to it and you find some friends that may text you when you have a big important challenge in your life and you can't buy that. You can't buy that. A person concerned for you, they're willing to pray for you, to walk with you. See, you're looking for food and God's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. I wanna tell you about family. I'm in a season of my life where I have my two oldest about to go to college. And so we're evaluating college opportunities and we talk a lot about, it's not just about the what. It's not the what of the school, it's not the what of the opportunity because I know this because I've been to college. College is not about all the what's. Yes, you need to get an education. Yes, you need to learn some things. But honestly, most of what's happening there doesn't have to have to do with the test you take or the grades you make. It has a lot more to do a lot of times with the people you meet and the relationships you make. It has something to do with the experience of the relational environment along the way. And so what I'm telling you is, in our world today, the pressure on you is line up all the what's if you line up all the what's and don't think about the who, you may be alone and that's not good. That's not good. So the value God places on this is very, very high. Here's number two, God shapes our identity through the relationships he places us in. You're like, Ruth, okay, she's not the nobody. Why? Because of her big moment. She has a big, massive moment. I don't know if there were any angels present. I don't know if any kind of music was playing like happens in the movies. I don't know how it happened. And I know just like you, I found myself sometimes stumbling into the right choice by God's grace. But by God's grace, she makes an incredible, crazy, illogical, relational choice. Not about the what, but the who. And in verse 14 of Ruth chapter one, it says she clung. She clung covenantally to this relationship. And as a result of clinging, look what she says here in verse 16. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. You may have heard this in a marriage ceremony because it's very strong covenantal language. Your people shall be my people. Your, your relationships are gonna be my relationships by the choice that I'm making to have a relationship with you. I'm making a relational choice to join in with the relationships that you now have joined to you. And good, look at this, and your God will be my God. So we're back to the God factor. This is not a horizontal thing, this is even a God distribution mechanism. Where you die, I'll die, there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. God shapes our identity through the relationships he places us in. One of the ways I've summed that phrase up is, your destiny, your discovery of your identity is tied to your relationships. In life, you learn this really quick. The people who achieve everything that God has for them is about who you know. It's not all about the X's and O's, it's about the Jimmy's and Joe's. I told my son that this week, I said, look, it's not just about where you go to college, it's about who you meet. Everything in life's about who you know. Even getting into heaven has something to do with who you know. And I'm not talking about just networking for the sake of yourself, what I am saying, opening our eyes to discern the relational joinings of God. You're like, why is that so important? It affects so many areas of our lives. 
If you're gonna be on a spiritual journey beyond the next six weeks, and you're gonna really discover who you're created to be, that I'm not saying it's the sum total. I'm not removing the God card, but the God process is he distributes to you the encouragement you need, the equipping you need, the things you need through those relationships in your life. You become who you hang around and who you walk with, and your people will be my people. You become those things. You get your paradigm on life through those relationships. It's very, very important. You quit always by yourself. You know, this discovery, you're like, Jeff, discover who I'm created to be. Like, this is exhausting. This is like mentally and emotionally exhausting. It's like, like oh, oh, I gotta try to figure out who, you'll quit. But you know what? When you have people around you going, here's what I see in you. Here's what I think you're good at. Here, hey, let me challenge you on this area over here. You always quit alone. You never quit with the divine relationships that God puts around your life. And it's how God, let me sum it up this way. That choice that Ruth made was so big and everything on the backside of that choice affected her destiny, okay? It's how God grows you and gets you to who he's called you to be. And I know for a lot of people who go, God sets us or places us in families and I've heard people tell me this privately as a pastor for years. You're like, one of the core values is spiritual family. Jeff, you talk about family. You say you lead the church like a coach or a dad and you love family and you love relationships and all that's so powerful and every time you talk about it, all I can think about is all the pain I've had in that area of my life. Well, I wanna tell you, I understand it. I'm a pastor, I've had it too. But I'm gonna tell you, the pain in it doesn't stop you from the desire for it. The pain in it doesn't stop you from being created for it. And so sometimes God has to place you in a different set of relationships to foster in you the things that he wants for your life. It's how he grows you and it's how he gets you and I am in no way saying it's easy. It challenges you. It, it, and when you value it, guess what? It challenges so many areas. I like to get better. So I do periodically some assessments and coaching and I wanna learn and I wanna be a good steward of you and our team. And so I recently uh, asked a, a mentor, said, I wanna, I, wanna get, I wanna get some help. And so I had to do these assessments and I got the report back and I didn't like all the things it said. It's like Jeff is too persuasive at times. Jeff is too strong. Jeff thinks his opinion is the best opinion. Can I be transparent in church? Are y'all with me? Jeff thinks, not y'all. I said, Jeff, when you talk in the third person, it's easier, you know what I'm saying? But he, he's too opinionated from time to time. And so, you know, one of my greatest teammates, not only my team I wanted to share with, but my greatest teammate, my wife. So I read it to her and she's like, Jeff, why'd you pay that guy thousands of dollars? I could have. You could have given me the money and I could go shopping. How many of you, none of us, look, by yourself, you're pretty good. By yourself, you're pretty humble. By yourself, you're all that. Get in some relationships. Get some people around you. If you're gonna be who God's created you to be, you better get people around you who you allow to see the real you who you allow to speak into and talk, because why? It's in that process that he shapes you into who he's called you to be. I'm gonna take it a step further here, a step further, 
That relational decision, the story of Ruth, I don't have time to tell you the whole story. It's a fascinating story. But that decision right there not only affected her then, but it affects you and I today. You say, how does that happen? Well, because our relationships form our identity, our identity ultimately becomes our legacy. Our identity ultimately becomes our legacy. You're like, Jeff, what do you mean by that? Some of you may know this, others of you may not know this, but that decision that she made ultimately works through the thread of the major story of the whole Bible, and that's the story of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And ultimately leads us to the book of Matthew, and you may pass over that in your quiet time. So-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. Not everybody made the genealogy. This is the genealogy of Jesus, but Ruth, the nobody, the obscure, impoverished young widow, she makes the genealogy. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by who? Ruth. Circle it in your Bible. She made those genealogies, and look at this, and Obed, the father of Jesse. And so what is this telling us? That the answer to this who am I question is so critical because it doesn't only affect you, but it also affects others. It doesn't only affect your today, it affects your tomorrow. What do I mean by that? Your, this who am I question and how God uses relationships, and this say, God, help me discern that in my life. Because your legacy, when you look at your legacy, really, it's a reverse picture of your identity. Your legacy is looking backwards at your identity. I, I think I was in tune with this by the grace of God earlier than most, okay? And here's, I think, why. At a young age, it, I was pastoring at 21, and even younger, I would put myself around people older than me. So because I always pastored people older than me, even though I was over here, I was always looking through the lens of way over there. Then I sought out mentors that were older than me. And all these people that were older than me, I would listen to what they talked about. And I would listen to them say, you know what? I live too much for the trophies because the trophies don't shine so bright today. I live for the trophies, but I would trade the trophies for the relationships. And I thought, hmm, oh, hmm, maybe in the evaluation process. Relationships should be prioritized more. And so what happens is you start looking in the, never too late, never too late. But as a pastor for many, many years, sitting with people and listening to people and dialoguing with people and seeing them over here, you talk about your identity and your priorities and what people see that you're all about. I've never seen someone on their deathbed say, can you bring me the sheet with my 401k numbers on it. Can you bring me some of my trophies so I can touch them? You know what they want? Relationships. And if that's really what we value, there's a reason we value it, because God does too. And what we should do is say, you know what, how can I today start prioritizing that now? How can I start making that part of how I see myself and how I see others today because it shapes it. And so I began to get a mental picture from some of the mentors that I hung around for that day. 
when that day is, I don't know. But you always move toward the picture. And the picture I have is one day at the end of my life, my natural family and spiritual family saying, thank you for what you deposited in us. Go ahead, we have it from here. And if you live with that perspective, it begins to transform your entire evaluation process of how you live life. Now, as I prayed for you, and I so bad want you to get this, we set up our growth track, our small groups, everything about how we do church so you can experience this. Very intentional. This message I'm preaching this weekend, everything about what we do is to help you touch it, help you be a part of it. But I started thinking, okay, if God puts the X there, if I were like Charles Steinmetz to come into your world and go, what's the big block that's holding you back from doing it? And I began to think, you can't receive from family, you can't build spiritual family, you can't connect with divine relationships until you first have received from it yourself. And so for so many people, they're like, I wanna, I wanna give this, but there's so much from their own world that's broken that we have trouble receiving from the acceptance of Jesus. See, if you're going to give in family, you have to have first received from the ultimate heavenly father, Jesus Christ. And so I asked our team to pull a video that I've seen become very impactful in the lives of people. And this video we put together because it shows a modern day picture of the genealogy of Ruth's decisions that lead to Jesus and that ultimately for us to give acceptance or give forgiveness or some of you right now, you're dealing with an offense. You're dealing with a hurt. You're dealing with every, as I talk, you're like, yes, Jeff, it's valuable, but I got this. The only motivator that'll cause you to get past that toward where he's calling you to be is if you first receive it yourself. You have to receive it first. And so I asked our team to show this video that we put together that's a modern day rendition of Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son who rejected family, but the father still loved even though there was a rejection. And so I want you to experience for a second, just think, no matter where you are, for some of you it's the first time you're gonna see a picture of the story of a son who walked away from his father to live his own life and you see the picture of the love Jesus has. But for all of us, we can't drink deep enough from the well of God's acceptance and his fatherly love for us because when we drink from that, we now have the ability to prioritize what he calls us to prioritize. Watch this with me and I'm gonna come back and pray for you. Since we talked, I was, you know, I was kind of hoping you'd answer, but um, you know, I understand that you probably don't want to talk to me. I've just gone so far, and the things I've done, I, I just regret it, you know? And 
I know how bad I've hurt you and let you down, but... But, Dad, I... I miss you. I miss how we drive around and just talk about life. And I just... I just want to come home. But... I know you've probably written me off. I can't blame you, actually. Here's, here's the thing. It's kind of a shot in the dark, but I'm, uh, I'm coming through town soon, and, and I'd really just like to see you. I know I can't just show up at the front door like I used to, but, but if you want to see me, just hang a small sheet out on the porch. If the sheet isn't there, when I drive by, I'll keep going, and, and I'll try not to bother you anymore. ask you if you would to bow your heads with me and I want you to just do an evaluation of where you are relationally not not just a measurement of the opportunities or the metrics you've put on yourself but where are you relationally the first and most important relationship that you'll ever receive from is a relationship with Jesus Maybe you're watching at McKinney or at 12.30 or you're watching online. Maybe you're right here in the room with me right now. But it's where are you with Jesus? Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. A relationship like no other. Where there's complete acceptance, forgiveness. Where he'll never leave you or forsake you. You say, how do I have that, Jeff? Could you tell me how? Well, it's not just the words, it's really from your heart, but I wanna lead you through some words you can say that if you mean them, the Bible says you can be saved. You can say, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, I believe you died for me, you rose from the dead. I believe you know my sin, but you love me anyway. And I wanna ask you to become my Jesus, my Lord, my Savior, my personal 
Jesus, come into my life. The Bible says if you prayed that, you are saved. So we have some next steps for you. I'm gonna ask you to, to, to let us know, fill out a card, come forward at the end of a service, come meet me at 101. Find a way to make a, back to the relational side, make a relational step to be able to connect what's happened inside of you spiritually. <clears throat> we wanna help you with that. But second of all, Lord, we pray today that we would discern your relational joinings for us. <clears throat> we would discern what you're, where you're placing us, where you're setting us. Lord, we would see through that lens and who you would ask us to reach out to or to forgive or to get over an offense. Lord, help us in that area. Let us prioritize it at a different level as a result of what we see in the Bible and in Ruth and what you're saying to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Milestone Church. We hope it's been an encouragement for you today. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast or discover who we are by visiting our website at milestonechurch.com. 